Good morning. I was telling uh, Jason and Rod this week that this was probably one of the most difficult passages I've ever preached on because each verse is its own sermon. And I asked Rod, I said, how as a, how as a teacher of the word, how do you, how do you properly and justifiably preach on something that just has so much meat in it? Um, and I was, uh, studying this week and I was actually, my dad had said that, um, you know, there's 50 different ways you can take this sermon, but you just have to trust that the, the path that you take is the path that God wants you to take. And so I just went with it and <laughs> so we we're going to get what we get, but, um, uh, it was very humbling. And it, what it really shows is that scripture is so in depth and God's love and is so uncomprehendable that um, how, there's always something more you can know. And who could ever say that I know everything in the Bible because you're just constantly being taught something else. So let's get uh, right to it. Let's go to uh, Luke 5. We'll read verses 17 through 26. Um, we're going to start here, but we're going to be camping out in First John today. Um, if you don't have your notes yet, there's some notes in the back. But I wanted to start with this passage uh, because I think it really touches on what we're speaking about today and being an advocate for Christ and Christ being an advocate. So we're going to jump right into that. Verse 17 says, One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they had, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 25, Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. So in the first century, um, houses were actually built of stone, but on the top, the roof was built of mud and straw. Um, this was a um, very typical way of, of building houses back then. Um, and outside of the of the stairwell there, there was a stairwell outside of the house, and you can walk up the stairs and go up to the roof. People in the first century would probably dry clothes, do other things on top of the roof, um, like we have a backyard today. Uh, these men carried their friend up the stairs of a roof, and it was a stranger's roof, and they basically were walking up and on a stranger's house, and they started pulling away the, the mud and the straw and <coughs> of the stranger's roof, and they lowered their friend right into the middle of where Jesus was teaching. 
So we see a lot of demonstrations of faith here. Many people today get upset about maybe um, a tablecloth getting a stain on it or a carpet getting a stain on it. But can you imagine this, uh, these strangers tearing apart your roof? And then not only that, but all these strangers are coming inside your house and listening to this teacher? State Farm isn't going to cover that. <laughs> but can you imagine, though, the owner's reaction to the hole in the wall and the house and everything that's going on? But I don't think that was what was on his mind. I think more so he was uh, not so much concerned about the domestic issues, but he was concerned about what the teacher had to say. The act of letting their friend down and going to that much trouble shows an incredible amount of faith. How much trouble do we go to to hear God's word? How much trouble do we go to to bring someone else to the Lord or to bring someone else to hear the word? The friends knew that there was something special about this teacher. It wasn't the paralytic's faith and that impressed Jesus, but the faith of his friends. Jesus responded to their faith and healed the man. For better or worse, our faith affects others. We cannot make another person a Christian, but we can do much through our words, our actions, and the love to give him or her a chance to respond. So look for opportunities to bring others to Christ. So this past week, I've been reflecting a lot about events that transpired almost 20 years ago. Many of you remember the time and the place in which you were when those events happened. And it was a day that our world seemed like it stood still. Um, And it appeared, though, as that darkness seemed to win that day. But during that time and the months that followed, what's great about Christ is that you can see Christ even in when those things happen and you can see Christ in people. I think about the churches that were just for a short time though, were still filled and became filled um, for the first time in years. Everyone started going to church again. I think about the two beams that made a cross, which you can still see at the nine 11 museum today. And there's these two steel beams that came from one of the towers and it made a cross. I think mostly, though, about the people who responded, the first responders, the policemen, the firemen, and the citizens who risked their life to help someone else. Fred Rogers once said, Mr. Rogers, when I was a boy and I saw things on TV that scared me, my mother would say, look for the people that help. There is always someone that wants to help somebody else. A term I'm going to use often today is the word advocate. Advocate means helper, one who is called to come alongside in the time of need. Many who perished on that fateful day ran towards danger and knew the cost. Jesus knew the pain he was about to endure, but also knew the cost if he did not run towards death. Well, last week, Rod spoke on 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 10, and shared that there is no sin in God. There is no darkness in him at all. To explain this basic principle, John uses contrast he likes to use contrast a lot and in this sense he uses the contrast between light and darkness if we are going to think correctly about god and jesus then we have to think correctly about sin so john addressed three unresolved sin problems when we lie to others by our inconsistent walk we lie to ourselves by our refusal to admit sin and we lie about god when we claim to be without sin 
For the person who recognizes their sin and confesses it, verse 9 tells us that God is faithful to forgive that person's sins and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. So do you claim to know Christ but continue to live in darkness? Do you live a transformed life in Christ? And does your life reflect God's character? This week we will learn that the Apostle John gives believers three reasons for why Jesus came. And my purpose for sharing this today is that we'd have a deeper understanding of why Christ came and to help answer the question, does my life reflect Christ in my thoughts, in my words, and in my actions? A sign of true Christian faith results in loving behavior towards everyone in your life. So if you would, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Verse 3, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yes, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around the darkness. They do not know what they are where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for sending an advocate for us. Father, help us to truly understand salvation today, to clearly understand that we had no control over our destiny, over our life, that we had no control over heaven or hell, but you sent your son to come take that debt for us. The debt is paid, it is paid in full. Just as the song says, Lord, help us believe that. Help us to live that out and respond to that. Christ, I, I just ask that you would give me the words to say. In Christ's name, amen. So as I shared earlier, Rod spoke last week about the contrast between light and darkness and sin and forgiveness. The Apostle John often uses contrast in his writing style. So that's kind of, that's how we know that it's John instead of another apostle. Light and darkness, new command, old command, loving the Father, loving the world, and he uses many others. But he also uses uh, caring terms as well when he speaks to the believers. So in the first verse of chapter 2, he says, Dear children, and actually he says, Dear children, one of seven times. It's not so much of he's putting them down. What he's really saying is, I love you. He's probably like a grandfather at this time. So he sees these young believers as more of a, as, as young children. Um, he says it more in a fatherly way. 
So 1 John was written to dispel doubts, to build assurance by presenting a clear picture of Christ. Entering into history, Jesus was and is God in flesh, who John had seen, heard, and touched. John walked with Jesus, saw him heal, heard him teach, watched him die, met him arisen, and watched him ascend. John knew God. He lived with him and seen him work. So the spiritual assurance and understanding of why Jesus came, John carried throughout his life. And he also wants young believers to know, which leads us to chapter 2. So the first reason why Jesus came is Jesus came to be our advocate. It says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So John had said, I am writing to you these things in chapter 1, 5 through 10, so that you may not sin. John has made it clear that in this life we cannot be sinless, but he does believe that we can sin less. Because we are now in intimate fellowship with the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ. We will still sin until we are glorified in him. So what do we do when we sin? Well, Rod spoke last week. Chapter 1, verse 9 says we confess our sins. So in chapter 2, verse 1, he tells us to flee to our Savior, who is our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Five times, um, he meant, advocate is mentioned in the Bible um, around this text, but four times in the Greek it's used as the Holy Spirit. This is the only time that advocate is actually used in uh, the context of Jesus Christ. Even it's even mentioned in the Old Testament. Go back to Isaiah fifty three eleven. It says, "After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities." Here, John uses "righteous servant." This advocate is sinless, undefiled, and spotless in nature and in all of his actions. All of his actions. This actually made me think of. Um, the Passover, and when they picked out a lamb and this put the blood over the door, um, it had to be a spotless lamb. It had to be a perfect lamb. This advocate is Christ our helper. He comes alongside at our time of need. He's a cleanser of sin, forgiver of sin, and helper when we do sin. Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is our defense attorney. He can stand before God as our mediator because his death satisfied the wrath of God against sin and paid the death penalty for our sin. Thus Christ both satisfies God's requirement, but also removes our sin. In him we are forgiven and purified. I like to use the analogy of, if I have watched Law and Order, and maybe you've watched some of those shows as well, um, and you see someone who's standing in the court, and, and maybe they're, they're the defendant, and the judge is about to use the gavel and say, you're guilty. And I could just see Christ in the crowd saying, wait, I'll take his punishment. And that's what Christ did for us. The second reason why Jesus came, Jesus came to be our atonement. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. So John now explains why Jesus can be our advocate. He made an atonement for our sins. The word for this is propitiation. So basically, propitiation means this. Jesus Christ, by his blood, sacrificed on the cross, satisfied God's holiness, and turned away his righteous wrath from sinners. So the wrath that should have been 
poured out on sinners was poured out on Jesus. The judgment that should have been experienced by sinners was experienced by Jesus. And the hell that should have been experienced by sinners was experienced by Jesus. The removal of God's punishment for sin through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All of this was done to accomplish God's purpose. It is also important to note that there is a universal component to this atoning work. It is for the sins of the world. No one is beyond its reach. A universal provision has been made so that people that have been redeemed, seeing in Revelation 5.9, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. Our last reason for why Jesus came, Jesus came to reveal God's character. Verse 3, it says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Verse 7, dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yes, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So in verses 3 through 5, keeping the commands of God is not a condition of knowing God, but the fruit that you bear is a clear sign and indication that you do know God. It is a life of true worship that delights in the commands of God for no other reason than it delights in the God who gives those commands. So John says, but whoever keeps, keeps meaning as a habit and pattern of life, just as Jason was sharing, his word or his commands, true, truly in him the love of God is perfected. But God's love is seen most truly in Jesus and his followers. So John goes further and says, in obeying his word, my love for Jesus grows, matures, and is brought to its intended goal. And here's the beauty of this. The more I know him, the more I love him. And the more I love him, the more I know him. Same thing happens in a godly marriage. This is why a marriage is so important. It should be that a more a husband and wife grow to know one another, the more they love one another. And the more they love and share with each other, the more they will desire to know each other. What a beautiful image of what a godly marriage is between a husband and wife and what we see through Christ and the church. This past year... It seems that we have seen everything but love for each other. From riots to killings to terrorism to epidemics. This year has, to be honest, has truly tested my faith. There's been times when I've doubts. There's been times I've struggled. There's been times I didn't want to read my Bible at all. There was times when I thought I could figure out my own way. But in the moment, God always brought me back and said, I got it. So I've been praying and thinking of ways that I can demonstrate Christ's love above every other catalyst that claims that they have the answers. 
You know, we turn on the TV and we see that every other group has this answer. Every political party has this answer. And it just breaks my heart because I just don't see love. I don't see it at all. John thirteen thirty five said, and this is the verse that God brought me to. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we have to out love everyone else. So what does that look like? I think it looks differently for everybody. I, I teach at a, a school that in inner St. Louis. As far as the epidemic goes, we're like in the heart of St. Louis. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's about as bad as it's going to get there. And the school has done a, has done a fabulous job of, of being careful and, and separating people. And uh, it's just an entirely different world if you go downtown. So there's just been a lot of frustrations with virtual learning and, and Zoom meetings. And, and the teachers just, you can tell, it's just already wearing on them. And we haven't even been schooled for barely a month. And there's a um, teacher that I work with. Um, his name is Tom. You can be praying for him. And he shared with me um, at the beginning of school year that he was an atheist. And I didn't share anything with him about my ministry background or, or that I was going to talk about him on Sunday. <laughs> but <laughs> don't tell him. But um, I just really wanted to show Christ's love. And it was Wednesday morning, and he's like, the Zoom's not working, and the kids can't hear me, and all these things are going on, and this kid's not even showing up, and this kid's turned around watching TV, and I mean, <laughs> and this kid's computer's not working, and this kid's internet's not working. I mean, can you imagine how awful it is? And he goes, and I don't even have my coffee. <laughs> and you know, if you're a coffee lover, you know, you know that's already a bad day. So I said, well, what can I do? I said, I don't know what I do without my coffee. And so it's Jesus and coffee, like right, right off the bat. And so um, I went to Starbucks on my lunch break, and I brought him back a coffee. And this isn't to toot my own horn at all. I just, I just wanted to show him Christ's love. And, and I said, man, I know how you feel. I've been there. And, and I just, I love you. And he's like, and but he he uh, he was so thankful, and he he kept mentioning it all day long. It's like thank you for that coffee, and now I've built a relationship with him. You know, out of this whole school, there's only about five male teachers. It's just a it's just it's an act of brotherly love, and you have to think beyond yourself. How can I show Christ's love above all of this? It's an unconditional type of love. God's love exposes the darkness and hatred, and that's what I was trying to do. So God told me to continue to share the message of the gospel, demonstrate what that looks like. So he revealed to me that we must not find our identity in a political party, but we must find our identity in Christ. We must identify with Christ in all that we do. So when someone asks you, why why are you doing this? Why would you do that for me? Because of Christ. Doing an act of random kindness because of Christ. God's love is uncomprehendable. It doesn't make sense. You know, a lot of us can walk the walk, or talk the talk, but can we walk the walk? I played Clopton baseball, and I remember, oh, I'm, I'm such a great player. I remember hearing that from players, and oh, I'm, I'm real good. I'm on, I'm on a Corey League team. I'm like, okay, all right, buddy. Kelsey knows. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. And, you know, they struck out every time. 
and they didn't know where to throw the ball, and they didn't know how to catch the ball. So you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk as well? If we profess Christ, that should be our answer in solving the issues in our world. It's time to put down a picket sign and pick up a Bible. The events that transpired this year were awful. I hurt for those people. If we want to repair a broken society, it's not a law, it's Christ. At the end of the day, any law is not going to change somebody's heart. It has to be Christ. Get rid of the hate and replace it with Christ. Repent and come to Jesus. There's a story, his name was Stanley. Stanley was in the South Tower, um, and he was a um, working for a, a big company, and his company had four different floors. Um, he was on the 81st floor. Stanley was a very strong Christian, and he made that known. In New York, you greet people on the street. And I don't know if I don't know if you've been to New York City before, and it's very crazy. And people, you know, it's not. It's just a. It's a different world. Um, you say good morning, and or you ask how you're doing, but you usually don't get an answer. And you, this is because people are just flying. And you know, you say how are you doing, good, and then you move on. So Stanley had this idea of said, well, when someone asked me that, I'd say um, I'm special. And that's what he said he would do. And people would be like, you know, and would stop him in their tracks. And then he could share his, his life and share Christ. So 9-11 was just a normal day for him. He got up, kissed his kids goodbye. He was South American, and he had the blessing of working there in um, in New York. And uh, had a pretty good high-paying job and loved his staff and, and shared that. He uh, would um, make it very known that he was a believer. And 9-11 was just another day when he, when he showed up to work. Um, he got his bagel and his coffee down in the lobby. And he went upstairs and, and went to the 81st floor. And, and I've been in the Empire State Building, and the elevator's just, I mean, it's, it's fast. It's like an adrenaline rush. And so he got right up to the 81st floor. Um, and then a couple minutes after he got to the lobby, there was this ex- extremely loud boom. And his, one of his workers saw fireballs coming out of the window and it didn't register what was going on. And his associate said, we need to leave and I need to get home. And he said, sure, I'll, I'll let you go. He said, I'm going to stay here. So he let all of his workers go and he stayed. So he gets back to his office. He's standing in front of his desk and he's, and the phone rings. He picks up the phone and it's his other coworkers saying, you need to get out of there. Uh, the, uh, the North Tower has been hit by a plane. And he said, well, I've just been told by a security guard, I'm fine, I'll be okay. As he looked up, he could see the Statue of Liberty, and he saw a plane out in the distance, and it got closer and closer. It got so close that he could read you on the back of the tail. It got closer and closer that he could see the pilot in the window, and then the plane started to tilt. And as a believer, he didn't know what to do. He said, that plane's going to come right at me. He was one of the only survivors that actually saw the plane come directly at him. And he says, he says, God... What do I do? You take over. He said, Holy Spirit, take over. Holy Spirit said, get under the desk. So he got under the desk. And he dove under. And the plane, because it tilted, because the terrorists thought that it, if we tilt the plane, we can get more span. So tilted the plane, and the, the, um, he was under the desk, and the wing went right over the desk. And so he said it was, there was fire everywhere, and there was dust. It was like someone threw up a sack of concrete. There was so much dust. And he said it was amazing. Like I, and he was just in awe of what was going on. He was scared. He was, 
it was everything. And he gets up and and the desk is the only thing left on his floor. And the Bible was sitting on top of his desk. Gets up and he says, Lord, I need someone. I need an ad. I need a helper. I need an advocate to come. He then sees a flashlight right after he says that. And a man named Brian was shining a flashlight on the other side of this wall. And there was a wall separating the two of them. So he takes his hand and he punches through the wall to get through the wall. And uh, he said, I don't, he says to this day, I don't know how I did that because I can't even punch through paper. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know how I did that. But God gave me this adrenaline rush. He was also on these, this medication that would take out a horse. He said it was so strong, it was like wipe him out. He said, my adrenaline was so strong, the pills weren't even working. So he, he gets over the wall and he hugs this man named Brian and he kisses him. And Brian says, whoa, what are you doing? He says, you just saved my life. And then the, Brian shapes up his suit and says, um, he says, my name's Ryan Clark. And he says, my name's Stanley Premath. So they decide that we need to uh, descend 84, 81 floors. So they they get all the way out of the tower and they walk down the street. Brian's not a believer, but um, Stanley was. Stanley said, we need to go to church. And Brian's like, what? We need to walk. We need. There's Trinity Church, famous church in New York City. And they walked into the church and they prayed. And it was several blocks away. And then they went on their way. And then as the towers fell, they were separated. So Brian... Um, and Brian survived, and actually to this day they, they go around and share their story. Well, Brian wasn't seen the rest of the day, but Stanley uh, got in a cab and went home. His wife was convinced that he had already died because of where the plane hit. And he was so covered in soot and dust that he wasn't even recognizable. His neighbors came out to see him in the yard, and they're like, we don't even recognize who that is. So Stanley thought, because I am recognizable, maybe I should knock on my own door because I'd, I'd scare my wife. His wife was actually in denial and that it was even him when he answered the door. He answers the door and shared who it was, and it was him. And her faith was restored uh, because of that day. So after a, a day like that, so many people go home that night thinking, what just happened to my day? And many people didn't make it. Stanley said, what do I do? Like... How does, what does scripture say about this? And the Holy Spirit told him to, to turn to Psalms 91.1. If you want to turn there, you can. Psalms 91.1. He said the Holy Spirit said, that's where you should go. So we went there. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, shelter maybe being like a tower, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's not coincidence. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Stanley has kept his dusty shoes and put them in a box marked deliverance so he will always remember who truly saved him. Don't be like the audience who watched a miracle of Jesus and said, good job, praise the Lord, and went on with their day. They witnessed the man who was paralyzed and they witnessed Jesus forgive his sins, but they never said, what about my sins? Forgive me of my sins too. They witnessed amazement, but they did not have eyes to see or ears to hear. Christ came as our advocate. Christ came so that we could know him. Christ came so he could fulfill what was supposed to happen. If you don't know Christ today, and it still seems fuzzy to you, 
there's many people here that want to share what Christ has done for them. Be like Stanley who shares his testimony and gives the credit to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the many blessings you've given us. God, thank you for sending your son Christ to die for us. God, we don't understand true deliverance until we understand your son who paid the penalty, who said, I would pay the debt, I'll pay it in full. Lord, we can't even comprehend a love like that. He died for the sins of the whole world, and most of the world just shakes their fists and says, I hate you. But you said, I lo- but I love you. Oftentimes in our workplace, we're going to be persecuted, we're going to be hated. Like, I've seen you mess up before. Well, you're not a Christian. We're going to face that. We're all hypocrites, but you are so magnificent, and you erased that. And you see not us as sinners, but you see your son in us. God, I just ask that you give us the strength to understand that. Give us the, the understanding of your power. In Christ's name, amen.